So if you want to turn to Numbers chapter 16, uh, that's where we'll be this morning. If this is maybe the first message in the series you're with, you're sort of like showing up at the crucible at all. So this is one of the most uh, painful accounts in the book of Numbers, maybe in the Old Testament. And so hopefully I can... uh, keep you along. The story that we're going to focus on today is on a guy named Korah and how he rebels against the Lord. Uh, What I want to do, though, is I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, a little brief history lesson just to get you up to speed. Here's sort of a two-minute version of the history of the Bible. There is a God calls a man named Abraham and offers him a promise. He says, Abraham, leave your country, your family, your people's household, go to the place that I will show you, and through you I will bless you, and through you all the nations will be blessed. The whole world will be blessed through you. This promise of Abraham was passed to his son Isaac, and this promise that came to Isaac was passed to his son Jacob. And at that point, things changed. Rather than the promise extending to one of Jacob's sons, God moved from passing the promise to building it. And so the promise of God was distributed to all of Jacob's sons, and he had 12 sons. Now, if you're a really quick counter, or if you see symmetry, there's 13 up there, and that's right. It's odd. It's a long story. Don't worry, the Lord fixes it. After the exodus out of Egypt the Lord redeems for himself one of these 13 for himself, and that is Levi. God takes the tribe of Levi for himself, which gets us back to the magic number 12, so we can all relax. And the Lord uses the tribe of Levi for his own purpose. Do you remember in the Exodus how the Lord struck down the firstborn of all the Egyptians? Well, the Lord turned, in the book of Numbers he does, he turns and he says, you know, what I will do is grab for myself one tribe of the Israelites, in other words, to redeem all of the firstborn sons of Israel that I didn't kill, I'm taking Levi for myself, and there'll be a special blessing. And so the tribe of Levi was dedicated and devoted to caring for the work of God, the tabernacle, all the furnishings, that sort of thing. That belongs solely to the tribe of Levi. Levi had three sons, Kohath, Gershon, and Merari. And the Lord broke the duties of the tabernacle up according to the the three sons of Levi. But there's something significant. There is a particular, there's actually two particular Kohathites, two people from the family of Kohath, that are a little bit unique. Moses is one, but the one that I want to focus on today and that the story is going to focus on is Aaron. Aaron was a Kohathite, but when the Lord pulled him out to be the priest, he did something unique with Aaron. He said, all of the priests are going to come from Aaron and his line. So don't think of Aaron anymore as though he belongs to Kohath. He is his own thing. And forever... Forever and ever, the priests before the Lord, 
beneath the law of Moses are going to come from the line of Aaron, sons of Aaron, all the way down. And the line of Aaron was placed in authority over these other families, Kohath, Gershon, and Merari, to do the specific duties related to the tabernacle. And you can see these, these responsibilities up here on the slide. Kohath was responsible for the most holy things in the tabernacle. It was the Kohathites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of God. And the other families did various other things, carrying the other parts of the tabernacle. But the Kohathites in particular had a unique responsibility. By the way, all of this is in the parts of numbers that nobody reads. So you're wondering where I'm getting it. It's not off of the internet. It's off and out of numbers. <clears throat> the Kohathites had a special honor. You can imagine... How proud would you be to carry the ark? Well, today's story is about a particular Kohathite. His name is Korah. And why don't we go ahead and begin to look at Scripture? There are several others in this story. The 16th chapter is very big, and it doesn't, it doesn't break up very nicely. So I have to do the whole chapter. And the story is going to deal also with two other individuals, Dathan and Abiram. I'm not going to talk about Dathan and Abiram. I'm going to just follow the story of Korah. But obviously, you know, you're welcome to read it on your own, for sure. Let me read the first two verses. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, son of Kohath, you see it? Son of Levi... And Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. Okay, troubles are brewing. And it's being led, you'll, as we read, it's being led essentially by Korah, and behind them are some other key figures. But in the group that they have assembled, it's, it's a fairly well-constructed insurrection, okay? They, they've taken 250 key figures from the tribe, well-placed individuals who are respected by the people, and that's behind what Korah and Dathan and Abiram are trying to do, and, and they rise up against Moses. And here's what they're going to say. I'm going to read 3 through 11. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. In Hebrew, by the way, that phrase means like enough already. That's what he's saying. Enough already. You have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning, the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. 
Take censers, Korah and all his company, put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the Lord of God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself? To do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation and minister to them? And that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? And would you seek priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? Okay, let's pause here. Our focus today is going to be between Korah and Aaron. Moses will do all the talking. In fact, Aaron doesn't utter a word this whole chapter, but he, he's the target of Korah. Okay, so this is between Korah and Aaron. And you hear the argument right up front. Korah has this half argument, this argument that has some sort of the pretense of validity that when you hear it, which is, hey, aren't we all holy? How come he gets to be the priest? If Korah was a child, he would say this, you don't get to be the boss of me. That would be how he says it. Why does, why does Aaron and Moses, why do they get to be the boss of us? If we're all holy, didn't God say he's trying to make us holy? And Moses exposes his motivation. Moses says, it'll never be enough for you, will it? It's not enough for you that you of all the tribes, you Levi get pulled out. And he's speaking to a Kohathite. You you carry the ark of God and that's not enough for you. You minister. None of the other tribes get to minister before the Lord, right? Korah's desire is more, Korah's desire is more power. Okay, this is false religion at its worst. God isn't even in this. Korah sees the role of Aaron as a role of position and power and he longs for it. And so Moses challenges Korah to a duel. He says, tomorrow, noon, ten of meeting, bring your censers. <laughs> it's going to be 250 plus Korah and their censers, their false religion against Aaron. We'll see who God prefers. this skewed view that Korah has that everybody should desire the bigger, higher position. Right? It's not that. That's the world. It has nothing in it of God. God cares how he made you. God has a role and a calling and a gift and a temperament and all of these things. God's thoughtful of your background, all of these things. So we're placed in our own setting in the body of Christ in particular ways. 
And yet it's, it's sort of, it, there's almost like an 11th commandment here. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's calling. And Korah's arguing it beneath the veil of we're all holy, aren't we? And there's some truth in that, right? Certainly, I would never make the case that Aaron is the most holy man in all of Israel. There's somebody could make a watertight case that Aaron doesn't deserve to be the priest. Anyone who's thoughtfully read the Old Testament thinks in their mind, why did Aaron get to be the priest? Aaron is not there because he's the most holy. Aaron is there because God put Aaron there. And so there's the semblance of an argument when Korah argues, hey, we're all holy. Why why don't we get to do that? Except even in the thinking about it, Korah's motivation disqualifies him from the role. You could want a noble spot for the wrong reason and entirely disqualify yourself. But there's another side to it, which is, so yeah, we're all holy. And yet, no, none of us are holy. On what basis is Israel holy? Is it actually good? Have we, in all of our reading of Numbers, ever closed the book and said, I'll tell you what, those Israelites were a holy bunch? No. Israel is seen as holy only because Aaron, the priest, and Moses are constantly interceding for them before the Lord. Because of the sacrifice made before God, God is choosing to look upon them as holy. They're not actually holy. It's quite ironic that Korah is claiming the holiness that's endowed to him based purely on the fact that Aaron is correctly offering sacrifice before the Lord as the very means of displacing Aaron. And then you have Moses' challenge, which to someone who has ambition, it's the obvious sort of challenge, right? Korah has ambition for the throne of Aaron, if such a thing can be said, when the true function of the priest is service. Moses says, you want to be God's man? Fine, show up tomorrow and you can intercede, just like he does. The role of the, role of the priest is not to rule. The role of the priest is to make peace between God and man. That's the role Aaron's serving. Come on out, Korah. You bring your fire, and we'll see how much peace that brings with God. That's the challenge. Okay, we're going to skip uh, 12 through 16. That's Dathan and Abiram. It's wonderful, but we, we don't have time. Let me pick up in 16. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they and Aaron, tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it, and every one of you bring it before the the Lord his censer, 250 censers, you also and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took his censer 
and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Okay, let me describe real quick what a censer is. If you grew up with a Catholic background, you have seen this. A censer would hang off a chain. It would be like a bronze vessel that would carry some sort of coal in it. And the priest would put on it a certain amount of incense, like frankincense or myrrh, would put incense on it, which would cook off and create an aromatic smoke that would rise up. That's what, in fact, sort of the Catholic tradition today is imitating the, the incense of Aaron. They've adopted that. That's what's happening here. Now you're saying, well, what, what is all of that? Here's what it meant. In, among God's people, God said this, all sin is separation from me. If someone sins, they're separated from me. And in fact, the wages of sin is death. God has always been consistent on this matter. That any sin, no matter how small or how big, actually the consequences are far greater than you and I can fathom, really. It means eternal separation from the Lord. And so when there's sin, what God did in his mercy was allow for an offering to be made. In reality, it should cost you your life. But out of the mercy of God, he allowed the people to substitute the penalty of their sin with an animal. And that the animal would die in their place. You hear this? This morning, we're going to say Jesus is a better Aaron. Okay? The truth is, Jesus is a better Aaron. Jesus is a better tabernacle. Jesus is a better altar. Jesus is better incense. Jesus is a better sacrifice. All of this is Jesus. God would allow there to be a substitute offering made for your sin. And that animal would die for your sin. And what the priest would do, Aaron or his sons, while the animal was being immolated on the altar, they would go and they would grab a hot coal from beneath the animal and place it in the censer. And then they would place incense on those hot coals and smoke would rise. And it would be as though prayers were going up to God. The picture is that when there is a satisfactory offering being made, the smell of it rises before the Lord and pleases him, and therefore peace is established. That's the picture. Every day they did this. Twice a day they did this. Morning and evening. And then additional times. Anytime someone would bring something, they would do this. That's what's happening here. Korah, you think you can intercede for the people? Great. Bring your own fire. Let's see what happens. Well, let's see what happens. Well, you know, it's not going to be good because the Lord showed up. Verse 19, right? Note to self, if you're ever in a rebellion and the Lord shows up, run, right? The Lord shows up. It's odd, even Korah is so arrogant as to muster the whole congregation. Hey, everybody come and watch my holy fire. Verse 20. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin? And will you be angry with all the congregation? You see, Moses, once again, it's the second time he's bowed down before the Lord. Once again, Moses interceding before the Lord. Mercy, Lord, show us mercy. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and then touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. As soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at the cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up. And the fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. I don't, I don't really have too much to say. Maybe the one thing I will say, you know, our, we, have, we have become, it's maybe, it's hard for us to understand how God might destroy a whole household, right? Dathan, Abiram, their wives, their sons, and their little ones. How can he do that? We think that way in large part because we are very individualistic. This is written among and with a people who are not at all individualistic. They are defined by their households. They are communal. And so what seems to us to maybe be overly aggressive is actually in context with the way they are. We may not be as truly individualistic as we'd like to think. Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, Friends, there is a sense that we are our brother's keeper.
there's a there's a, the extremity of the judgment on these families is is a little bit harsher in the sense that it's 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 shown to be extreme. Remember, they're wandering in the desert for forty years until a generation dies off. But what's the next generation? Next generation has hope. They get to rise up and go into the promised land. Not these families. God chased them to the end. Right? This, these families have sort of been closed off. Okay, it gets better. Or it gets worse, depending on how you read it. <clears throat> Let me read 36 through 40. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, to take up the censers out of the blaze. Then scatter the fire far and wide, for they have become holy. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, for they offered them before the Lord, and they became holy. Thus, they shall be assigned to the people of Israel. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers, which those who had burned had offered, and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar to be a reminder to the people of Israel so that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah and his company. As the Lord said to him through Moses, this is a beautiful picture, I think, of how it is that you and I find mercy. Remember, Christ is a better Aaron. Christ is a better high priest. Christ has offered a better sacrifice. The smoke of Christ is more pleasing to the Lord. And when the day comes that you and I stand at the altar of God, our hope is in his smoke, his fire. Do not think, see this altar and all the censers hammered to it. Do not think that you can bring your own case to God. Kind of American deism sort of says we're all pretty good. And there's a God and God is jumping up and down to do good things for us and he better do good things for us. And when I die, I'm going to go to heaven because I never did anything that bad and I'm not Hitler. That's essentially American deism. Do not think that will work before the Lord. That you're going to go before God and light your own fire? He will hammer you to his altar. There is only one flame that gives us hope. There's only one incense that gives us hope. This is, this is an opportunity. This is a challenge. It's an opportunity for decision. It's a time to examine. What's your hope before the Lord? Do you really think that you're good? Because I can tell you these were 250 well-chosen men influential among all the tribes of Israel. You think you're that good? This is the creme de la creme of the tribes. So unless you are so much better of a distant kind, our only hope is in the merciful incense burned by Christ. And in that, we have all the hope. God is just and merciful, and it's here. God is not saying no one can come to the altar. 
God is saying, let no one come to the altar but through Aaron. And Christ is a better Aaron. Okay, one more reading. It gets better. Or worse. The next day, it's always the next day. All of this is verse 41. All the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You've killed the people of the Lord. You can't make this stuff up. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Now, as I read, I want you to remind yourself, okay, Christ is a better Moses, Christ is a better Aaron, okay? Allow that thought to have power as I read. Listen to what happens. Verse 43, And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. It's the third time in this chapter Moses has done that. And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire on it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the great plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were over 14,700 besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. Think of that image. The image is made all the more colorful when I think that Aaron was about 100 years old right now and he ran. It's the mercy, the mercy of God on our behalf, the mercy of Christ to run in. What do you do? This is, there's no rule book for this. There's no law to take the incense out of the tabernacle and rush out into a crowd that's being destroyed by a plague. I mean, what, what's going to happen to Aaron? I don't think he knew. I think Moses and Aaron have come to trust who God is and to know that if we seek mercy, we will find it. And Aaron grabs this incense, rushing out. I mean, I can just imagine the prayers that are coming up in Aaron. Dear God. Right? And he runs straight in and hits this wall of death and stops it in its tracks. Christ is a better Aaron. How is it that you have life? How is it that you have hope? How is it that we can, we can sing songs about moving from death into life? How is that if it's not for the fact that Jesus Christ has grabbed the incense in the censer and rushed to earth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. Even on the cross, he's petitioning for us. As the ground is cracking and as the curtain is tearing and as the earth is shaking, he's saying to the Lord, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He's constantly interceding for us on our behalf. 
It's my prayer as we close that we would be people who would not be prone to grumble, but that we would remember the whole story. I mean, you know and I know how it is to wake up and have a a heart that has no appreciation for what God's done. All we see is trouble. All we see is what's wrong. All we see is what we deserve. I'm not saying this all the time, every day, in every way with this, but how often you and I can identify with the occasions where gratefulness is absent from us and where God is somehow on trial. How is it, God, that you allowed that to happen? How is it that you allowed that to happen when the Lord should be able to turn to us through the voice of Moses and Aaron saying, have you ever thought to ask how it is that you're even alive right now? How much mercy has already dispensed to preserve you the way you are and more is available to you through Christ? Are we a people of mercy or are we not? The best witnesses of Jesus are not the ones who know a pithy evangelistic story with five truths and eight scriptures and a trick and a little piece of paper that does this. That's not the best evangelist. The best witnesses of Jesus Christ are the ones who know that the mercy of Jesus Christ met them before death did and testify to it. Who are we? Let's pray. Lord, I ask that your word would have true effect on the souls of those who hear it. Make us grateful, Lord, naturally grateful, waking into gratefulness, Lord, that on the next day we would not rise grumbling, we would not rise angry, but we would rise with the stories of your mercy in our mind, expecting more, Lord, because your son isn't dead, he's alive. Your spirit isn't far. He's in us. We thank you, Lord, that you are just and merciful. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.